Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odour. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honour. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offences. There is an evil under the sun, as an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, while the rich sit in a lowly place. I have seen servants on horses, while princes walk on the ground like servants. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness and the end of his talk is raving madness. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The labour of fools wearies them for they do not know how to go to the city. Woe to you, O land. When your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness the building decays. Through the idleness of hands a house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry. But money answers everything. Do not curse the king even in your thought. Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice. And a bird in flight may tell the matter. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. Let us uh, pray and ask for God's help to understand it. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you once again that you speak to us when your word is read. We know that some parts are easier to understand than others. We pray, O God, for your help today, for that miraculous and spiritual help which comes only through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand and to believe what your word is teaching us today. Amen. We're getting to the end of our book, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And it seems that the, the preacher who's been looking for the meaning of life has come to the end 
of his quest. He's, he's finally reached a conclusion about what is meaningful and what is meaningless in life. But before he gets to telling us the meaning of life, again, as with last week, he, he wants to remind us of what he's already covered. He, he wants to go over it once more just to make sure that we've got it into our heads. Last week we saw what death teaches us. And this week we're going to reconsider wisdom and foolishness or wisdom and folly. The preacher repeats what he's already told us. And what he's already told us is this, that wisdom is good and wisdom is better than foolishness. But ultimately, neither wisdom nor foolishness hold the ultimate meaning of life. Look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 10. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odour. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honour. Do you see what he's saying there? He says all it takes is a, a tiny, a, a tiny fly to destroy all the perfume. It just takes a whiff of a bad smell to destroy the good smell. And so it is with wisdom and folly. A little bit of folly, a tiny bit of foolishness outweighs lots of wisdom and honour. The old saying is, it takes a lifetime to build a good reputation, but you can lose it in a minute. It's really just saying the same thing as Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. You can build up all this wisdom and honour and then do one foolish thing and it destroys the whole reputation. And so what we might be tempted to do, because we've read this book up to this point and we've kind of followed with the preacher, we might say, do you know what? Wisdom is not the answer, so I'm going to give up on wisdom. We might be tempted to say, I'm just going to live the life of a fool because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether we're wise or whether we're foolish. I'm just going to be a fool and live that life. Wisdom is hard work. Being wise is difficult. And you know what? We're all going to die anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Why put in the effort? Why not just live as a fool? So the preacher turns to examine foolishness. What about folly? And the whole of chapter 10 is devoted to these various proverbs about the topic of foolishness. And interestingly, or, or strangely perhaps, foolishness does seem to succeed. Foolishness seems to be the answer at times. But ultimately... Ultimately, foolishness, as we might expect, is also meaningless. Chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes wants to make plain to us that wherever we look, we can see foolishness. Look around you. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. We're sitting in a room of fools. 
Unless you think that you're the only one here who's not a fool, look inside yourself and you see foolishness as well. Chapter 10 shows three places where foolishness destroys wisdom. He talks about foolishness in the everyday, foolishness in high places, and foolishness in our words. We're going to work through each one of those in turn. But before we do that, I want to take a step back. I want to think about what's going on. Let's let's put on our gospel lenses. Let's think about this from the gospel of Jesus Christ and his perspective. Because the temptation for all of us would simply be to to say, well, I'm going to stop being a fool and I'm going to start being wise. That seems to be what makes sense. Yes, it's hard work, but ultimately it's a better thing. So let's try that. But we've seen, haven't we? We've just seen that wisdom is ultimately not the solution to our problems. So foolishness isn't the answer and wisdom isn't the answer. Well, what do we do? How should we live? I hope it doesn't come as a surprise that I'm going to suggest there is a third way and it's found by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to make plain the gospel way of wisdom and foolishness, how we are to live as Christ's people, as those who are in Jesus, I want to read from the New Testament. So if you have your Bible there, turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. We're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture for us today. Now, I could read a lot of this. There's, there's a lot of valuable stuff here in the first section of Corinthians. Uh, but I'm going to restrict myself and just read from chapter 1 and verses 22 to 30. So this is what God's word has to say about wisdom under the gospel. Verse 22. Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men for you see you're calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Let me be really clear about what's going on here in 1 Corinthians. Paul is telling us that we cannot be wise on our own. You may think that you have wisdom, but that is under the sun wisdom. And wisdom under the sun is made futile by foolishness under the sun. Just like a a tiny fly can destroy all of the perfume. Paul makes that point. He, He takes it even further. Look again at verse 30. Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. And so, like with righteousness, and Paul also speaks of righteousness in this passage, like with righteousness, there is a wisdom that doesn't come from in here, and it doesn't come from in here. It's a wisdom that comes from God. A wisdom that can come from outside of us and becomes ours through our union with Jesus Christ. So that in Christ, foolishness, fools like you and me, are made to be wise. It's really important that we grasp just how significant this is before we we come to look at these three areas which I've mentioned. The gospel message is foolish. It's foolish in, in human standards. Just think about the gospel for a second. The very notion that a, a, a poor man from a backwater town uh, died on the cross at the hands of a Roman governor. And then he rose to life again. Isn't that foolish? He rose to life again three days later in order to save me. Something that happened 2,000 years ago and 3,000 miles away can save me from my sin. Human intellect would say that is absolute foolishness. Ludicrous to suggest such a thing. But Paul says that's exactly what he preaches. Because to those whom God has called, this is the very power and wisdom of God. Folks, we do things in church which probably seem foolish to many people. We probably don't look wise. And if we were to simply think about under the sun, we could say, yeah, they are foolish. Humanly speaking, what we gather to do on a Sunday is a foolish thing. But we don't do things under the sun in the church. We don't just think about human and practical reasons for doing things. There might be some things which seem really wise and sensible by human standards, but we say, no, that's sinful, so we're not going to do it. And there are some things that by human standards seem foolish, but we should absolutely embrace them. Think about what we're going to do at the end of our service. 
Here we have a a visible demonstration. In the Lord's Supper, there is a spiritual reality. There is something happening. How does it happen? Well, we eat this tiny little piece of bread and we, we drink from these minuscule little cups. Doesn't it seem foolish when you think about it? But in this seemingly foolish act, God communicates salvation. I want to return to our passage this morning, back to Ecclesiastes, where we're going to look very quickly at each of these three areas of foolishness. But rather than trying to have human wisdom about this, we're going to think about God's wisdom, about gospel wisdom for each one. So firstly, we see foolishness in the everyday The Bible tells us that a fool cannot hide his foolishness as he walks along the street. A fool is a lost person with no direction. He or she does not know where they are headed and so they are lost in the most basic sense of that word. The preacher lists examples of everyday foolishness. Look at verses 8 to 11. He who digs a pit will fall into it, fool. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent, foolishness. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, which would be the wise thing to do, then he must use more strength And you all know that when you swing really hard with an axe, you're endangering yourself. But wisdom brings success. A serpent may bite when it's not charmed. The babbler is no different. Everyday activities, or at least in these days, everyday activities. A little foolishness, simply forgetting to sharpen the axe, can lead to disaster. But the preacher is trying to show us that this kind of foolishness is really unavoidable. It's just, it happens. Remember his remark last week in chapter 9, verse 11, time and chance happen to them all. Surely I'm not the only person in the room today who has done something foolish that I shouldn't have done and it ends up in disaster. It's happened, hasn't it? It's happened to you, it's happened to me. So if this life is all there is, if we only live under the sun, you can see how frustrating life is. Foolishness is lying around the corner for all of us. Every day we are prone to do something stupid which ends up in disaster. It's unavoidable. The preacher says it's all around us. And if it's not your fault, it's going to be somebody else's. So what's the point in getting out of bed? Why get up in the morning? Well, the gospel way to think about this is to know that if we are living for Christ, then all of those frustrations and disasters are insignificant. They're going to happen. But we're not living for this world. We're living for glory. What does Paul say in Romans 8? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory 
that will be revealed in us. And so the Christian's disposition is not to get frustrated by everyday foolishness. We know that it's a result of the fall. It's the curse of the fall. But that's been dealt with through the death of Jesus. So this life is not all there is. We can have wisdom to to look beyond those things which would just annoy us, that would frustrate us. We can look beyond them and think to Christ, who is the wisdom of God revealed to us by the Spirit through the Bible. Well, secondly, we see foolishness in high places places of authority and responsibility. Verse 6, folly is set in great dignity. Verse 7, I have seen servants on horses while princes walk on the ground like servants. But the nub of the matter is seen in verse 4. You see verse 4, it speaks of a rather uniquely human weakness. And that is taking a huff. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for conciliation pacifies great offences. Again, tell me I'm not the only one who has taken a huff because I don't like the decision that somebody else has made. Somebody in authority over us has made a decision and we think that's a really silly thing to do or that's going to cause me inconvenience. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk away. And you could almost build it up in your mind that wouldn't it be wonderful to walk away and then then they wouldn't have anyone to do that job which they need done so badly. I'm going to walk out because of what my boss has said to me. That's probably motivated by sinful pride and actually it's quite immature, isn't it? The preacher says it's better to stay put, to remain calm, and that will bring the error to a rest. As Christians, we should not act out of selfish pride. We should not take a huff. When we're in a situation where someone is angry with us, well, one person angry is enough people angry. We don't respond with anger, we respond with calmness. Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 12. He says this, these are really helpful, especially in the church. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul says here seems like foolishness. Do we really want to feed our enemy? Do we really want to give him something to drink? Shouldn't we attack our enemies? Paul says we should serve them. That's the way those who are in Christ should live. Because that's the way Christ lives. What did Jesus do? He served his enemies to the extent that he died for them. 
So we do see foolishness in high places in authority. But we serve those who are our enemies. Well, finally then, in in chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, we see foolishness in our words. Verses 12 and 13. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness and the end of his talk is raving madness. The preacher tells us that we shouldn't even utter foolish words in private. Don't speak them even in your own minds. Verse 20, which is very appropriate. These verses are appropriate after yesterday. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Have you ever heard the phrase, a little birdie told me? The preacher is saying those birdies are everywhere, and they're listening, and they're only too willing to take your private thoughts into public. Wisdom isn't the solution though, because we can be wise, but a few foolish words can destroy much good work accomplished by wisdom. Here, this is where we see the the wisdom of God, a wisdom that comes from outside of us. This is where we see it most powerfully. Can you believe Because I can't. Well, I do believe it, but it's hard to believe, should I say. That God would use the foolish words of a fool like me to communicate the benefits of his redemption. If it were down to us, wouldn't we come up with a better way to do it? A better way to communicate the message of God? We would come up with something more effective, something more entertaining, maybe. We might believe that workshops or small group discussion are are, are a more effective means of teaching God's people about God. And those things are useful and they're good, but they're not the means that God has chosen to use. Because faith in Christ is not merely a learning exercise. It's not intellectual like learning calculus. Faith in Christ is a spiritual reality. And God uses a spiritual means. He uses preaching to bring about and increase the faith of his people. Do we believe in the foolishness of preaching? hard to believe but do we believe in it i'm not sure we do why is it that this evening's service will be much more poorly attended than this one is i think it might be because we don't believe that we need the preached word of god in the same way the body needs food we need god's word preached to us Can we survive without it? Well, yes, but only for a little while. We're starving ourselves spiritually. Now look, I know there are many practical reasons why you might not 
be in church on a Sunday evening. But a lot of the time, they're just excuses. If we realised, if we believed how important the preaching of God's word is for our spiritual well-being, even though it seems foolish, I know it seems foolish. I know even the words that I'm saying seem foolish at times. But if we believe that this is God speaking to his people, we would make every effort to arrange things so that we are with God's people under the preached word more often than not. Let me finish by quoting Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, It is so important for Christians to place their lives under the preaching of God's word. Although it's set at a discount today by comparison with participation in either personal Bible study or more particularly group Bible study, neither of these, valuable as they may be, can substitute for the transforming power of the preached word. Hooks the preacher in Ecclesiastes compares wisdom and foolishness. He says wisdom is better, but neither of these things are the ultimate good. But in Christ, foolishness is made to be wise. In Christ, fools like you and me are given the very wisdom of salvation in Christ alone. As Christians in the church, we don't rely on earthly wisdom. We don't rely on it in the everyday, in the high places or in our words. We rely on the wisdom of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us.